Well, good morning, Oakwood family. Oh, I'm glad you guys are physically distancing this morning. <laughs> I guess the youth aren't here, right? Is that, that's what's different. Hey, just uh, so glad that you're here uh, with us this morning, or if you're with us online this morning. Uh, this is the last Sunday of a series we've been in for several weeks called A Thrill of Hope. And talking about the thrill of hope of Jesus coming into the world. And uh, we've been doing that for uh, the last four Sundays, and this is the last uh, Sunday in the series. Now, we've gone through all of these lines of the song, O Holy Night, because O Holy Night's such a great Christmas song. It really encompasses the whole Christmas story. And um, we've we've done A Weary World Rejoices, and The Soul Felt Its Worth, and all these different lines from the song. And uh, today, as we finish it up, just wondering if anybody has a guess as to what line of the song we're going to be talking about today. As you're all looking at your app and looking at the sermon notes now, it's, uh, I'll give you a hint, it's for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. That's what we're going to be talking about today, is a new and glorious morn. Because I think that if we're all being really honest, all of us kind of want that, right? We want 2021 to be a new and glorious morn. Now, 2020 hasn't all you know, been all bad. I mean, many salvations happened this year. Uh, many good things, positive things happened in the world this year. But for some of us, we don't like the uh, virus cramping our style or how that's affected things. Or maybe we, we've gone through a, a season of loss. Maybe we've lost a loved one or we've gone through sickness or, or something ourselves or something with our, with our business or financially. You know, there's, there's all these things. And that can really be any year, right? I mean, that could be, it doesn't just have to be in 2020. That could happen in 2019 or, or really any year. But we get kind of to the end of a year and this is the last Sunday of 2020 and you kind of get to this point where it's like, you know what? A new and glorious morn sounds good. That sounds really good to me. That I would like something new. I, I would like something glorious. If you think about it, that's what happened on that night over 2,000 years ago. That old holy night that the song talks about. That thrill of hope, which was Jesus Christ coming into the world, that actually brought on a new and a glorious morning. It brought on newness of life and hope everlasting because the Son of God was coming into the world, taking on the form of man in the flesh. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Now, we're going to be talking about this uh, today about a person um, that if, if you uh, had known this person personally, your thought would be this person is the last person that God would use for something glorious for his kingdom. This, this person is the last person that you would say, oh, he's going to convert and become a Christian. He's going to become a follower of Jesus Christ. And this person is in the Bible. Now, you could probably think of somebody right now, if you, if you really like, paused and really thought about you, you can think of somebody in your life, maybe it's someone in your family, you just spent some time with them, or you're going to this week maybe perhaps. Maybe it's a friend of yours from high school. Maybe, maybe it's, you know, but you can all think of somebody that you're like, man. Now, if that person gave their life to the Lord, if that person, I mean, if we could see a new and glorious morning in their life, it would be like, wow, and you would be astounded. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Someone in the Bible that I think that everyone that came into contact with this, with this guy was astounded that he would become a Christian. They, they were beside themselves that this, this particular guy would actually give his life to Jesus Christ. And not only that, he wasn't a quiet Christian. He wasn't like one of those Christians that like, you know, I'm a secret Christian or a closet Christian. He was like... The real deal, I mean, he served in ministry, and he did, he did so much. Do you have any idea who I'm talking about? Somebody from the New Testament? 
somebody super famous, big name in the New Testament? Talk about a guy named Saul, that later would be called the Apostle Paul. And if you look at his life, I mean, let's just, let's just read it from the scripture itself. Because I think people couldn't have imagined the transformation with Saul. They could not even have imagined the change that would have come. That, that this, this guy could have a new and glorious morn. I mean, people were so shocked about it, they, they didn't even think it was possible. Now, if you would give, you know, maybe the resume for the Apostle Paul, you'd say, okay, Paul plants dozens of churches. That's how we know Paul, Right? Right? He writes letters to them. I mean, you know, half the New Testament, over half the New Testament, written by this guy. I mean, he writes the Bible. He helped thousands of people come to salvation, come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And that guy is the guy that you are just talking about that you said no one would believe he had actually become a Christian, but let's understand who he was, B.C., before Christ. Who was the Apostle Paul? In his own words, it's found in Galatians chapter 1, Verse 13, he's writing to uh, Christians there. And this is what he says about himself. For you have heard of my former way of life in Judaism, how I was savagely persecuting the church of God and trying to destroy it. That guy. Uh, notice, notice the words that he uses there. It's uh, savagely persecuting the church. <laughs> he could have just said, hey, I was persecuting the church. No, he was savagely persecuting the church, the church of God, and trying to, what does he say there? Trying to destroy it, trying to get it to cease to exist. I mean, this, this was serious. This, this, there, were, there were martyrs involved with this guy. Let's read how he describes himself in Acts 26. He's, he's, uh, he's before a king and he's giving a testimony. He's wanting this king to understand who he was before Christ. And as part of his testimony in Acts 26, beginning with verse 9, it says this, this is, this is Paul speaking again. I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Did you catch that? All that was possible. Anything goes with this guy. All that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. He locked up Christians for being Christians. And then they were, and when they were put to death, some of these were martyred, they were put to death because of their faith and their belief in Jesus Christ. I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. And I tried to force them to blaspheme the name of God. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. I mean, if you were a Christian, you were like, I am not safe from this guy. And it didn't matter if you left town, if you left Jerusalem and you went to some foreign city. It was likely that Saul was going to track you down. And that if you were following Jesus, that he was going to... Take you as a prisoner back to Jerusalem, and who knows what would happen, how you would be persecuted then. B.C., Paul. Before Christ, this is who he was. And as we read more scripture and text today, I want you to pay attention to how people react when they hear that this guy has changed and he's met Jesus. Because I, I think they're very, very honest 
transparent responses. Because then we get to see the other side of Paul that maybe we're more familiar with. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he's just given this rendition of all that he suffered for Christ. And I've been beaten, I've been whipped, and I've been shipwrecked, and I've been left at sea for three days, and I've been without food, and I've been without water, and I've had people trying to kill me, and all this stuff. And he gets to 2 Corinthians 11 verse 28, and he says this, besides everything else, besides all these things that have happened to me because of my faith, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all of the churches. Did you read what he was doing to all the churches before? And now he feels pressure. Such concern that he describes it as pressure for all the churches. Pressure of a concern for all the churches of God. This is after he met Jesus. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, he talks about his new life in Jesus Christ. How that change was made and how he was proceeding with it. And he says, in Philippians 3, 13, he says, but one thing I do. What's your one thing, Paul? What's the one? But one thing I do. Forgetting what is behind, forgetting the past, forgetting the sinfulness, forgetting the old, old life, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. Straining toward this newness of life, this new and glorious morn. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And you read things like this, and to the people even at that time was, how is this even possible? And there's so much more. I mean, I'm just reading you a couple verses here about this. There's so much more about this in the New Testament. That you could read about the Apostle Paul, B.C., and after he met Jesus. After his death to his sin in Christ, you know, B.C. and A.D. And you read it, and it's such a stark contrast. But what I want us to consider today is How? How did he get there? How was this transformation possible? And what were some of the steps he took to see this new and glorious morn in his life? To leave the old life of sin and the old ways and to become the apostle Paul instead of the Christian persecutor Saul. We're going to read his story of conversion in Acts chapter 9. So if you would turn there this morning if you have your Bibles. If you don't have your Bible, you got your phone or your tablet with you, that you just got shiny new for Christmas, get it out. Download the Oakwood app if you haven't already. Hopefully it was already on there. And go in there to sermon notes in the Oakwood app. And all the scriptures we're going to read, all the bullet points from today's message are going to be in there for you. There's even a cool way you can take notes and save them right there in the app and have them to refer back to, read later. But we're going to read Acts chapter 9. And we're not going to read the whole chapter, we're going to read a lot of it. And you might see, maybe you have a subheading there in your Bible, or as you're, as you're turning to this passage in the app, and it says, Saul's conversion. Saul's conversion. So let's begin there, Acts chapter 9, beginning with verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. B.C. He went to the high priest, and he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way. Now let me explain what the way is, because if you're reading that, it's capital W, right? So it's got to be, you know, proper noun, it's got to be something important. The way was the reference to the church. The way was the reference to followers of Jesus Christ. Do you remember when Jesus said that? He, he told the disciples one time that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Heavenly Father except through me. Yeah, from that time on, they were, hey, they were the, they were the people of the way. And the church was called the followers of the way. And that's how he's referring to them, to them here in, in verse 2 there. And so he says, if they found anyone who belonged to 
the way of Jesus, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So he's going to take them out of Damascus back to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Except it was much more godly than that, okay? Verse 5, who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. Now the men traveling with Saul, now, now think about it, who were the men traveling with Saul? Probably, probably some of the, the Jewish guard with him, right? They're going to they're arrest the Christians and bring them back, bring them back to Jerusalem, the, the followers of the way. And, and so these guys are Christian haters as well. Uh, they're, they're, they're believing in Paul's mission. They're, they're his cohorts, and I expend, expect this group to be a, a very rough group, you know, they're, they're all soldiers. And so the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. And Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. He was blind. And so they led him by hand into Damascus. They led him by hand. They had to hold his hand and lead him into Damascus because he was blind. I mean, you know, and he was a new blind person. So, you know, he, he's out of balance. And, but they lead him into Damascus. And for three days he was blind, and he did not eat or drink anything. Now, if you don't Eat or drink anything, that's bad. If you don't drink anything for three days, it's really bad. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place hands on him to restore his sight. Ananias is a good, good Christian, good follower of Jesus, and God's going to use him here. Look at verse 13. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with the authority of the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. Isn't it interesting Ananias' response here? It's like, God, do you know who you're dealing with here? <laughs> of course God knows who he's dealing with here, right? But you see his reaction, right? <laughs> God, don't be crazy. <laughs> but this guy kills Christians, persecutes your church, and wants us all to die. Let's leave him blind. That's what I think. And I say, it's like, let's leave him blind. I mean, you've blinded him, Lord, right? Let's leave him blind. And we get to verse 15. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, just go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to their kings, to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. I have a whole lot of plans for this guy, Ananias. Just go. In verse 17, then Ananias went to the house and entered it, and placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. And he got up, and he was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Quite a story. So what happens next? Well, S Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. 
And at once, so he spent some time with the believers there, the, the followers of the way, the Jesus followers in Damascus. And at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Well, he had been persecuting and preaching and, and teaching against and arresting people for, now he is proclaiming it in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished because they knew who he was, they knew his reputation. They were astonished and they asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners of the chief priests? And yet, Saul grew more and more powerful and he baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. And sometime later, after many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy amongst the Jews to kill him because they didn't really believe he'd changed and it's just, just not possible. And, and now he's not following the Jewish sect. He's going the Jesus way. And yeah, so, but Saul learned of their plan and day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. So he escaped. Verse 26. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples in Jerusalem, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. But Barnabas, uh, his name means son of encouragement, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul was on his journey and how he had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. And so Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of Jesus. He talked and he debated with the Hellenistic Jews, which is you know, what he was for. I mean, that was who he was with before. But they decided they'd try to kill him. And when the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and then sent him off to Tarsus. And then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. We're going to stop there for today. Amazing story of a man who hated Jesus, hated the way and hated the whole movement and hated the church. To the point Christians were killed, they were martyred. To the point they were under constant pursuit and persecution by this guy. And yet, he becomes a Christian. He plants many churches. Thousands of people become Christians because of him. And he writes much of our New Testament. How is this kind of transformation possible? And, and in context of, of our series, the thrill of hope that Saul now felt. How did Saul enter into this new life, into his new and glorious morn? How did Saul do it? I want to share some thoughts with you this morning. The first one is this, and it's real simple. He simply said yes to God. He simply said yes to God. When God came calling, he said yes. When God instructed him, he said yes. When God told him what the mission was and what he was to do, he said yes. He said yes to the unknown. He, he said yes to a new way of life, a totally new way of life for him. Being, being negative and being against now was all that he would love and sacrifice for. 
He said yes to a new life and a new direction. Now, Saul could have been like many of us, and even those that we read about in Scripture, and could have responded to Jesus by running the opposite direction. That when God calls, sometimes we run the opposite way. You know the story of Jonah, right? You've heard of Jonah? Jonah was called to go to Nineveh and was to warn the Ninevites that they might turn to God. And he didn't like the Ninevites. He didn't want to go to the Ninevites, so he ran the opposite direction away from God. Now, he had a whale of an experience. Thank you. But um, He did. He had a whale of an experience, and you can read about it in the book of Jonah. But in the end... And it took a lot of learning on his part, but in the end, he says, what? He says yes to God, and he goes to Nineveh. He asked them to turn from their evil ways, and many were saved, because he simply said yes to God. And if we're honest this morning, I think that so many times we don't even fathom how many times we say no to God. I remember saying no to God at several times in my life. I remember saying no to God really before I accepted him as my personal Lord and Savior. I cannot tell you how many times I sat in this sanctuary, in your seats, and, and, and how we did invitation at that time. We did this invitation song at the end of the sermon. And so the preacher would preach the message, and there were so many times I felt convicted, I felt like the Lord was calling. And we'd stand up and we'd sing some song of reflection about Jesus and what he'd done for us. And, and, and there would be, you know, softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. We'd sing the song, I have decided to follow Jesus. And I wanted to. Like, I felt God calling me. I got the goosebumps. I was ready. And I would do what I called white knuckling it. Do you know what I mean? I'd stand there in the seat. I'd grab the pew in front of me, and I would hang on. And I'm like, I'm not going. I'm not going. Don't go. No, and I said, no to God, no to God, no to God. It actually took me going to church camp when I was 12 years old to finally kind of break me down. It was Thursday night, next to the last night of church camp. That's when I finally said, okay, I'm saying yes to God, and I want his direction. There are other times I said no to God in life. My, my, my first ministry, I just burned out in a year. It was a year to the day, and I got out of ministry for a while. When I got out of ministry, I started, you know, living the American dream, started making money, I was working for in IT for Capital One Financial, the credit card company, and I went from a contractor, got hired on full-time, got flown to Virginia to the headquarters, was going to live the corporate life, and, and really went through a season where I was still going to church and I was still serving. I mean, I was always teaching Sunday school or something, but, you know, I wasn't in full-time ministry. I didn't really dedicated my vocational ministry, my vocational work to the Lord. I'd said no for a season, and then I said yes. And maybe you have a story like that. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's, it's you've been white-knuckling it still to this day. Or, or you remember when you were white-knuckling it for a while. Or you remember that God called you to do something. God called you to share your faith with someone or to, to, to answer the call to some ministry opportunity or to answer his call to go somewhere, do something for him. And you said no. And I think if we really reflect, there's so many times we say no to God. But if you want a new and glorious morn, then look what, Look what Saul did, because he just simply said yes to God. He chose to go ahead. Which really leads us to the, the second thing we can get out of this passage today. How did Saul enter into this new life, into this new and glorious morn? He moved forward trusting that Jesus would show him what's next, even when he didn't know. He just moved forward trusting that Jesus would show him what was next, even when he had no idea what was next. And so what did Jesus tell him? 
I mean, you remember, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. Get up and go into the city and stay there. Period. What? I'm blind. Go into the city and stay there. Period. What's next? He has no idea. And yet he still says yes to God, and he makes a choice to move forward, trusting Jesus that he would show him what's next. And he would show him what's next. And, and, and the twist in the story, don't forget that he has this physical condition now called blindness. Okay? The rough and tumble guards have to hold his hand and guide him into Damascus. And then he goes to this house, and he doesn't eat or drink for three days. But we know from our passage, it said that he was praying, he was seeking the Lord, but he couldn't see the road ahead. He didn't know what the next step was. He doesn't know what the future holds, but he's choosing to trust in Jesus to show him what's next. And he chooses to take that next step anyway, even when he doesn't know the outcome, even when he really doesn't know where he's going. I mean, did he know Judas on Straight Street? Did he know Ananias when he came and laid hands on him? While he's blind? Did you know any of the disciples in Damascus at that time? Other than maybe their name on a wanted poster because he was going to drag them back to Jerusalem and make them pay for their faith. And yet he puts his trust in Jesus for what's next. I think it's the scariest step as a believer sometimes. If you've been a believer for a long time, I think it's good to be scared and have to have some faith sometimes. Because the scariest step of faith is when you don't know what the outcome is. God's calling you, and you have felt convicted. Yes, I need to be moving into serving and ministry somewhere in the body of Christ, somewhere in God's church, whether it's through teaching kids or teaching teens, or, or maybe I need to help with small groups, or maybe I need to just, just be serving on the, on the tech team or, or, or the worship arts team, or, or you know, there, there's all these different areas. Maybe I need to agree. Yeah, I know I need to be connected in the body. I, I've heard all the preaching, all the scriptures on the body of Christ, and that we're all a part, and that we're all called to do our part. When I'm not doing my part, there's atrophy in the body of Christ, and how God could more wholly use all of us if we all did our part. Okay, I've heard all that but I don't know if I have enough Bible smarts or enough training or, I, you know, if, if I have enough faith. And, and all, all, all that the, the Apostle Paul did here was respond by saying, okay, I'm going. I'm, leaving, I, I'm trusting Jesus all the way and I'm going to follow him. Wherever he leads me, I'm going to follow. And I'm going to wait sometimes and not know the outcome and not know that it's going to be perfect or that it's going to be fun or that it's going to be enchanting in some way. I'm just going to say yes. I'm just going to follow him and trust that Jesus is going to show me what's next. And I'm going to give him my yes and I'm going to follow him in faith until he leads me to what's next. What else? What else did Saul do to enter this new life, his new and glorious morn? The third thing this morning, he opened himself to growth with another believer. He opened himself to growth with another believer. You think about this. As Saul sits in Damascus, blind and unable to eat or drink, God speaks to another man, a Christ follower. We read it. it it's Ananias, and he tells him to go help Saul. And Ananias has great hesitation, like, God, do you know who this guy is? But you see, Saul never moved forward on his own. Even being led into Damascus, those guys had to hold his hand and guide him. Guide him to Judas's house on Straight Street. Guide him to the place where Ananias could come and see, see him. And if you read right after that from that passage, it tells us that he hung out with the disciples. And if you notice the timeline there, it says that many days had passed. I don't know how many days that is. Is it 20 days? Is it 40 days? We don't know. But 
he was around the disciples, the followers of the way. And he was learning the ways of Jesus. And he opened himself up to growing with other believers. Whether there was Ananias or the disciples, or when he went back to Jerusalem, the disciples and the apostles in Jerusalem. But he said yes to other people. And I think we need to realize that we need help from others. And it's the best way we can grow in our faith sometimes is to have those brothers and sisters in Christ that come alongside of us and show us the way. And and, and through just saying yes, through trusting in Jesus for the next step, and through opening himself up to God's family, to other believers, he continued to grow and became a powerful, 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 powerful tool in God's hands. And it was all possible through Jesus Christ. The thrill of hope that gave him a new and a glorious morn. And I wonder if there was a moment on the road to Damascus as he's being led into Damascus. I wonder if there's this moment where Saul began to hope. He began to have a different hope than he'd had before. He was hoping in ending this movement, the way, the church, whoever this Jesus character was that everyone's talking about. And he's the king of kings, he's the lord of lords, and... Was there this moment where he just felt like, wait, I have hope like I've never had before. I have a new and glorious morn because of what Jesus did for me. And it became real to him. And I I wonder if all of us coming out of the, the 2020 year, if we would all say, yes, that's what I want. That's what I seek. That's what I desire is a new day, a new way of life, a new and glorious morn. I want a new beginning. Is that even possible? What do we need to say to say yes? Especially as we are about to begin a new year. It happens this week. 2021 is going to be here. You know, there's a song uh, called uh, Come Thou Fount. You may have heard it. It's, a, it's an old song. And there's this line in there that, that always gets to me. And, and the line says, prone to wonder. That, that, that we just sometimes are just prone to wonder. That our, our path to following God isn't always just a straight line like it ought to be. There's this meandering and there's this, you know, the, as people were prone to wonder. And if we say yes to God and we say yes to the new and glorious morning. And we're going to say yes to him in the new year. What are some ways that will keep us connected? What are some ways that we can have outcomes like the Apostle Paul does? And become a powerful tool in God's hands. That we could become a people of the Great Commission and actually do what it says. Just don't understand what it says, but actually do it. What do we need to say yes to as we begin the new year? Some of us need to say yes to finding our way back to God. We've been prone to wonder. And maybe 2020 was a year that, man, because of this, and we can make all kinds of excuses, right? Well, I didn't have time, or had to focus on this, or this, or this happened, it was really bad. Some of us need to say yes to finding our way back to God. Some of us need to say yes to finding a new chapter in our relationships. We have some unhealthy relationships. Maybe it's with family members. Maybe it's with the opposite sex. Maybe it's, maybe it's uh, uh, just a friend that we've had a falling out with and things are just awkward. And Maybe that's what it is. Some of us need to say yes to a new chapter in our relationships. And we need to understand the meaning of forgiveness and the meaning of of following Jesus in that way and understanding the restoration of relationships that is beautiful in the body of Christ. 
for those followers of Christ that desire it. Some of us, we need to say yes to a risk that God is asking us to take. And I think this is big for Oakwood. I think this is big for many of you that are here today. What is the risk that God asked you to take this year and you said, nope, 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 nope. And we go back to, when are you going to say yes to God? When are you just going to follow him in faith even though you don't know the outcome? You don't know if it's going to be perfect. You don't know what it might cost you even. But when are you just going to say, you know what, yes. I've been feeling convicted to do that. I've been, I've been feeling like I need to, to, to do this with my time. I know I need to be involved in this ministry. I know to give, I need to give this, this money to the Lord's work. Whatever it is. What is that risk? Some of us need to say yes to a risk that God is asking us to take. And I would say this to you as well. Fear has held you back for way too long. There's a lot of fear in the world today. Fear makes its living on viruses, economies, and presidential elections. And fear has made a good living in 2020. But some of us, we just need to say yes to God and remember that he holds the outcomes in his hand. Some of us, we need to say yes to reordering our priorities in life. We need to say yes to reordering those priorities in life. We need to give up something that you love for something that you love more. What do you need to give up to reprioritize your life? And we talked about this a few weeks ago. I don't want to belabor the point, but as we look at your calendar... So we look at how you spend your time, how you spend your free time. So we look at all these priorities in life. As we look at your, your checkbook, what reflects what's important in your life? What gets the priority? I hope it's more of God. To give up maybe something that you love, to sacrifice something that you love, your hobby, your me time, for something that you love more, like someone coming to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, serving the body of Christ. And it's not just yes to that we need to say, we, we say yes to finding our way back to God, yes to a new chapter of relationships, yes to, re, to a risk God is wanting you to, you to take, yes to reordering our priorities. But it's not just yes to. To experience the new and glorious morn, I think the other thing we have to say is, is yes with. Because I think we could all use an Ananias or two, a disciple of Christ or two in our lives. And so maybe the question you need to answer for next year is, who do you need to say yes with? You're saying yes to these things, but who are you saying yes with? Who is that Christian influence in your life? Who's going to be that mentor? Who's going to be that person that sharpens you? Who's going to be the person that you get really real with, that you can really tell them that you struggled with this temptation this week? That you can get really real and tell them, I am fighting depression like I've never fought it before. That you can share life with them. That you can be real with them. And this person's going to pray for you. They're going to turn you back to the word of God. They're going to speak truth into your life. Who do you need to say yes with? I want to encourage you to find some Christians and grow in 2021. January 6th, we kick off our Wednesday nights again. I'm telling you what, if your Wednesday night is open, great opportunity for you to get connected with other Christians. For you to grow and sharpen and be in the word. And maybe choose to find a good Christian friend that you can say yes with in 2021. Get real. And I'm telling you what, if you're here today and you came in today and you kind of like feel like the weight of the world is on my shoulders. And when, when you say a new and glorious morn, 
And in this whole series about having a thrill of hope, I'm like, yes. With all I've gone through this year, yes. Yes, I want to say yes to God. Yes, I want change. Yes, I want a new, and not only just a new, but a glorious morn to look forward to. Yes. The tendency is to not change a thing. The calendar will roll over this week. Nothing will change. Do you think Saul perhaps had to make a change? Everything changed for Saul. It was like a complete 180. Some of us, maybe it's just like a 45 degree turn, 90 degree turn. But for some of us, it's going to be a 180. We've been going our own way, our own direction. And God's saying, I'm going to offer you a new and glorious morn through my son, Jesus Christ. And if you're in need of hope this morning, I, I hope that brings some solace to your soul. A lot of times in preaching, what we're called to do is to comfort the afflicted, but we're also called to afflict the comfortable. And maybe you've been a little too comfortable, and maybe this is Jesus calling you to something new. But whatever it is, you're going to have the chance to respond in just a few minutes. We're going to sing a song, and there's going to be elders and, and staff that are going to be over here, and we would love to talk to you about your relationship with Jesus Christ. What we're going to do right now is we're going to take communion together. And even if you're with us online right now, hopefully you've prepared those emblems. We're going to take the bread that represents Jesus' body and the cup that represents his blood. And now we go from the birth to the sacrifice of Jesus, which made it all possible. It was impossible. We could not keep the law. We could never be good enough. But Jesus, the perfect lamb of God, sacrifices for the sins of the world. This meal that we're about to take, the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion, the Eucharist, whatever terminology that you use for it. This is the meal of a new and glorious morn. This is the meal of newness of life. Uh, Paul talks about this in the book of Romans chapter 6. He, he talks about coming to the Lord. He says, so we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And then he says, by no means we died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? And then he reminds us, don't you remember your baptism? You were therefore buried with Christ and raised out of those waters to walk in newness of life. A new and glorious morn. A new day, a new time, a new season. Only possible because of Jesus. Because of the sacrifice that he made for you. So as you take these emblems and remember Jesus this morning through them, I pray that you'd also remember the newness of life that you can experience in him. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for this opportunity we have to take these emblems and to do as the disciples did long ago, began in the upper room and for thousands of years, when the body comes together, God's people take communion. And these emblems are held out before us to remember the body and blood of Jesus Christ, to remember that grace wasn't cheap. It was very expensive because it cost the life of your son. That baby that was born that was so innocent and so precious was going to be a sacrifice for each one of us. And God, we are, we are in awe of that. We thank you for that. God, I pray as we take these emblems now, we remember that sacrifice. We remember the purpose that we can have new life. 
and we can have new life because of what Jesus did. So Lord, I pray, continue to speak to us in these next few moments as we take this communion together. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Would you just take a few minutes now and commune with your Savior, Jesus Christ?